Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 53 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. We are in the final days and episodes of the daily podcast adventure. This is number 26. Shout out to my daughter as that being her favorite number. And looking at where we are and where we're headed, what's going to transpire in these final five episodes. Now we talked about daily, and if we look at the date on the calendar, we have really three more remaining in the month of November, which is the month of this challenge, which is the month after the swimming concluded, which really feels so hard to believe, seems so far away. And there are certainly moments this month when I thought, I'm really glad that the swimming challenge is over. And there have been a few cold plunges, and maybe there will be some more. Today was pretty wintry up here in Northwest Michigan, a lot of snow on the ground, although it actually warmed up a bit when that happened. But on average, we're getting that episode a day. We did have two conversations episodes, and we can allow those to come into the mix, but really it's meant to be solo episodes, 30 of them. And so we'll have five more. And as I was thinking about how they're going to emerge in this next little while, this shortened interval, our finish with a flourish moment of the arc of the month. One thing that came to me and was really inspired and affirmed by my meeting today, I meet weekly with my positive intelligence coach training pod. And it's a fantastic group. There are four of us and we meet and discuss the concepts and share with one another. And today we brought forward more of our own stories into the space And the call for that has been coming up more and more in lots of different arenas of my life as I work on my own book, as I work on a contribution to a collaborative project. And I thought back to the experience I had on Facebook beginning, I want to say it might have been February of 2019 even, I'll have to go back and look at the specific dates, where I would do a story time Sunday. And the origins of that were the origin story of my gym, CrossFit Inconceivable, Inconceivable Fitness, and how that came to be. And it was an organic sharing. I sat down, I put live, I told the story. And then the next Sunday, I offered up some different exercises with the story. And then, like you might imagine, if you have been with me in different iterations and spaces in my life, it picked up and it became a thing. And so on Sundays, I would come on and tell a story. I would come on and read a story. During the pandemic, it evolved and I would come on and sometimes play music and sometimes join in and play music with someone else who had played music. For example, Donny Osmond had sung a song from Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so I played along with that and it continued to evolve. I interviewed my children on Storytime Sunday. And then last year, right around this time, it kind of came to its own natural conclusion, and that was okay. 
It had run a course. It had done its piece. And it felt like a pause time. And we're seeing that there are seasons. There are seasons of how things come and they go and they return in their own different iterations. But it is Sunday. And as I was sharing an experience that had happened to me the day prior, my pod mates stated, wow, this would be a really great story to tell. And it could be a really great podcast episode. And I thought, oh, how perfect. As we're transitioning out of having come through all the different saboteurs and ways of being and identifications, what if we took a moment and took a different perspective? And I've shared with you in the past my experience of having a storytelling event. And I talked about my love affair and breakup with reframing of my relationship with bread. And I thought about how I could play that audio into the podcast, but I could brush that up and bring it forward as its own story. And I think that could be a fun way to incorporate periodically into the podcast that aspect, that element of storytelling. And so I'll offer this here, and I offer it also in the context of so many times we think that a person has it all figured out and they get it right every time. And we think about that for physicians. They must be doing all those right things. And physicians might be doing many of the right things. They might be following the recommendations that they know. And also, we're constantly learning. We are still human. And there are very many times when we are still learning from sometimes a challenge, a mistake, if you want to call it that. I think about that with coaching. And I think of it myself many times when I'm having a reaction in a space and I think I should know better, right? I know what's happening. I know how to identify thoughts and feelings and address my behavior. But at the same time, I am still very much human in the human moment, having a human experience with the other people around me and honoring that, honoring that real way of being, certainly noticing when I can see it happening, There sometimes can be that almost out-of-body experience recognizing, I see this is going on and I'm continuing down this line of thinking and this way of being and reflecting on it perhaps in a different way and engaging with it, seeing other people around me behave and respond differently perhaps because they are engaged and exposed to the concepts. But there is no absolution and there's no, you have reached this point and now, right? You will never again react, respond in some certain way. So I also offer up this experience with the realization, with the realness that this absolutely happens. And there's room to know and grow and gain perspective from the life experiences and also space for others to step in and show us grace and be our greatest teachers. And so where can we begin? Presently, I'm in the midst of a holiday challenge, all kinds of holiday challenges, the Concept 2 Rowing Challenge, and one from my dear friend, colleague, and coach, Dr. Ali Nowitzki. And she has a group for women physicians. You can listen to her podcast, Life Coaching for Women Physicians, tailored to that audience, but certainly widely applicable. The concept she brings and the way she brings them forward is really powerful. And she proposed a challenge over the holidays to bring some more awareness to our engagement with movement and with food and with some of the stress that can come up around the holidays in a very beautiful way. And 
it was originally going to start on the 29th, and then the opportunity arose to begin ahead of Thanksgiving, which has just transpired in the United States this past Thursday. And so I thought, let's do this. Let's bring it forward. And in general, I don't find that I have a particularly challenging relationship with food, although like I shared, the bread obsession, the universal and exclusive relationship that I had with bread in the 90s, you know, we could look at that. And I do have different restrictions around foods that I eat for health purposes, for the inflammation that they cause, for the tolerance that I really do think I exhausted during that time for wheat and for gluten in my teenage years. But overall, I view food as fuel, but also as beautiful and delicious. I love food. I love pretty much all food, even the ones I no longer can tolerate. Bring it on. Love food. I eat a relatively high volume of food that matches my activity level. And I'm pretty good at tuning in to what my body needs and where the caps are. Although I will say, I tend to eat quickly. And we could look at that as the hazard as the effect of growing up in a house with many people. And so the sentiment off he was eat quickly, or there might not be food to eat in my younger years. And I've taken that with me and I recognize it. Even recently when I was at the physician coaching summit, we had a group lunch and there was somewhat of a delay in getting the food. And many people were still waiting when I had my plate and I paused both out of the politeness of waiting till everyone had food to begin eating, but also recognizing that were I to begin when they did, I would be done well in advance and even waiting until the last person had their food, I would still finish with the original group. Not saying that's anything to aspire to, just owning how it is for me. And with this challenge, there are a lot of gentle opportunities to really just tune in to what you want, to recognize why you want it, and to realize some of the behaviors we have around food. Now, most years, and this will likely happen again in January, we engage in a Whole30 as a family. And if you're familiar with the Whole30, you omit sugar, grain, dairy, legumes, and alcohol. And the majority of those are already largely omitted from my diet for a variety of different reasons. But some definitely creep their way back in. Dairy in small amounts and some beautiful cheeses. And even now I'm thinking about drunken goat cheese, which is my favorite, and it reminds me of my travel days, and sugar. Sugar is still the space that comes back in. Now, I can not eat sugar, and this is a trend. You could insert a lot of foods in here, but once I eat sugar, I want to keep eating it, right? And that's the nature of sugar particularly. And so with sweets and treats, if I don't have it, it's not a problem, but if I have it, I'll eat more and more of it. Sometimes we think of it as no breaks food. Same thing around bread historically and perhaps around things like potato chips now. And just recognizing some of those tendencies we might have in the ways we engage. And just like we talked about with some of the saboteurs that can show up in our lives, we might have certain ways we engage with food for a variety of reasons. So I welcomed this challenge. And one of the components of it is a fast. And now a fast is any length of time without eating. And it could be one hour, it could be five, it could be 10, it could be 12, it could be 24, it could be much longer than that. And most days I don't eat until midday. And that's for a variety of reasons. It just really feels better for me. And so with this, I thought, well, once a week, 
I could do a 24-hour fast, which means let's say you eat dinner at 6 p.m., then you would wait a whole day, and the next day you wouldn't eat again until 6 p.m., which could be a really long time. And with any of this, consult with your physician, tune into your body and your needs, recognize what is appropriate for you. But for me, it's not that much longer than I would often go without eating. And it was an interesting invitation to tap into my self-awareness and my inner dialogue and just see. And with all of this, there was always permission. If I needed to eat food, I would eat food. If I wanted to eat food, that was available. Right? This was open and these were opportunities. These were framework pieces that I could choose to engage with. So I want to be very clear. There was no mandate. There was no deprivation. This was elective and there was room. Should I choose to break the fast sooner? Absolutely available. And the interesting part on that first day was being in the store with my son after school and noticing all these different quote unquote healthy treats were in a co-op, right? And the opportunities there were of a higher quality, but still treats. And I put a bunch in my cart and I, in my head was rationalizing, I'm going to have all of these today, right? I'm fasting, I'm exercising, I eat well. I had all of this dialogue justifying the whole experience. I got home and I ate food at the end of that 24 hour fast, actual food, right? Protein and salad and lots of good, full and filling food. And I ate it at a decent pace. And when I got done, I was pretty full. And many times I would want to eat the treat anyway. And I thought, you know, I really don't want the treat. And if I did, I could have it, but I don't. And that's okay. And that was really a revelation for me because so many times I would choose the food as a reward. Right? I would choose it and enjoy it and keep eating all of it. But I gave myself the chance to really tune in to that. And so that backstory owns up to the beginning of the original story I was going to tell here today, which began on Friday this week. And so the extension was made that the ideal window for fasting was to do a five and two, five days without fasting and two days with fasting in the week. And I thought, all right, I liked the one day. Let's try the second day. Again, try it. There's open-ended opportunity. And so this was Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, the day after eating a fair amount of food, although not nearly as much as I've eaten on other Thanksgivings, I think because I was tuned into what I actually needed and wanted, all of it was available. And I had some of everything, but I didn't have more of all the things, which is usual for me. And that actually felt quite good. I was more energetic and alert. I can think of previous Thanksgivings where I really did just go to sleep right after dinner and sleep is fantastic. But it was definitely more of that food fatigue and exhaustion. So on Friday, I was in the midst of a fast and my husband showed up in the morning with a golden milk from our co-op, which is a delightful treat and most appreciated. But there's a little bit of, well, I'll say resentment or lament from me because I thought, oh, fasting, I can't have it. And not even from a temptation, but from the standpoint of I had to reject this lovely, warm, frothy beverage. And I know that act of service and also providing food are my husband's love languages in contribution. And so I had some guilt around that, not being able to drink it and having these silly rules. And I went through this whole inner dialogue relatively quickly. And I said, thank you. I'm fasting, so I can't drink it now, but perhaps we can put it in a jar and I'll save it and I'll drink it at another time. And he was fine. Everybody was fine. And that's what we did. The day proceeded. No problem. 
made it through. Interestingly, right before the time when my quote-unquote eating window was open, I was making Thin Mints for our friends, and I took a little bit of the batter. There's no eggs in it, although we can talk about whether you can eat raw eggs in batter. And I took a bite, and I have made Thin Mints dozens and dozens of times, and not once have I taken a bite of the uncooked and undipped Thin Mint batter or dough, whichever it might qualify as. And I realized there probably was some active hunger nearing that window of eating. It was some mindlessness, right? Some sense of being distracted and seeing where tuning in was available. I didn't make a big deal about it. I ate some actual food because if I was going to break the fast, I wanted it to be with actual food and not a sweet treat in that moment. And then I had some Thin Mints once they were actually fully prepared. All fantastic. I had actually brought the golden milk with me to our friend's house, but it didn't make sense in the time to try to heat it up there. So I took it back home. So this golden milk has now traveled from the co-op to my house in its original cup and then to our friends in a jar and then back home again. But I'm determined to drink this golden milk. Fast forward to Saturday and we went back to those friends. I stayed home to do some work. My daughter was helping tend to our neighbor's dog. And so I was preparing to be the super helpful mom and bring dry clothes to my children who had been sledding. And I prepared all the things. I folded them up. And interestingly, I often stack clothes. And I don't say often, let's say always, from biggest to middlest to littlest, from bottom to top, right? From size, it makes sense. From you know just the organizational space, it makes sense. And in all the bags I packed in my 14 years of parenting and in the eight years of parenting three children, that's been the rhythm. On this day, I very consciously, in my head, I was having this dialogue thought, you know, I'm going to change this up. And my oldest son's clothes always get to be protected and it's snowing outside and they're going to get a little wet. So let's put his on the top and they can protect the other clothes. And that's what I did. And I packed the bag and I was getting into the car and loading all the things and driving and it's snowing and the roads are pretty icy because it had frozen the day before and we arrive at our friend's house, and as we get there, the other children are already sledding, and my daughter's in the car, and I'm encouraging her to get changed and trying to find her helmet, because yes, we put helmets on when we sled down big hills. I'm trying to get hold of my husband. He's not answering his phone, and I'm feeling a little irritated at this point because my thoughts are, right, no one's helping me, and they're all here relaxing. I had to work, and now I'm here doing this, and so I'm in a little bit of a tizzy, and so I've trudge up to the house and identify the helmet and bring it back down to her and she heads out to sled and then I'm trying to bring all of these supplies in so I brought some supplies to help make lunch and I brought this bag of clothes and I had the golden milk because my last step before leaving the house was to warm it up to find a container and if you haven't had golden milk it is turmeric based it is very yellow and it stains things and I was even thinking about which container I wanted to put it in because often it will leave some stain on the lid, often not in the container if it's stainless steel. And I chose one. And I remember as I walked out of the house thinking, I don't think the lid is shut. Right? The little part that clicks, right? The part that opens for where you take the sip. I looked at it and it seemed ajar. And these lids are notoriously hard to open. And for some reason, I didn't click it all the way down. So as I'm getting things out of the car, and I'm driving the car that I don't normally drive because I'm transporting the dogs 
And again, snowy and messy. I slipped a few times, didn't fall, but nearly did. It felt like that cartoon moment where Goofy is slipping and his legs are everywhere and I threw my phone and frustration is mounting. I'm feeling irritated. And so I get the sledding clothes on my shoulder. I reach in to get the food bag. And you might think, right, take more than one trip. That's an option that's available to you. But if you're also in that space of, right, put all the groceries on your arm and just no matter what, make it in one trip. So I'm standing up in the front seat of the car and my last act of business is to pick up this golden milk container. And as I do, it's in my hand and the bag of sledding clothes slips from my shoulder to my elbow. And at that moment, it causes some tumult and the golden milk spills because I didn't click that lid and pours all over my coat and all into the bag of the sledding clothes. The top layers of which are my oldest son's clothes, which happen to also contain a new pair of pants I just got him and his souvenir sweatshirt from his eighth grade trip in Oregon with his classmates there from the summer. And you might imagine what reaction could come up, and I am livid. And immediately, I am cursing this golden milk. And not immediately the fact that I didn't click the lid, which would be my ownership of the task, and just an unfortunate incident that happens, but that ever this golden milk came into my life. And that it came into my life on a day of fasting, which my husband should have known, and how dare he bring it into the house. And had it not been on that day, I would have been able to drink it right then, but instead it was a fasting day, so I had to put it in a jar, and then I was obligated to drink it, and I had to traipse it all over town and heat it back up, put it in this container, that wasn't properly closed, and now it's all over the clothes and over this coat. And I also had happened to choose a coat that I really loved. Interestingly, I originally was going to wear a different coat that isn't as high up in my collection. It's more of a utility coat. But I thought, no, right? It's a beautiful day. It's the first snow of the season. I'm going to wear my favorite winter coat. And that's the one that became endorsed, emblazoned with golden milk. And I see all this bright yellow on this lilac colored sweatshirt in these heather gray pants and all in the bag and all down my coat. And I just, I'm done. I can't anymore. I walk up to the house. My husband finally opens the door and I'm not being very pleasant. I am mad. I'm saying words and I just say, I have to go. I spilled all over these clothes. I've ruined everything. I need to go. So we exchanged keys. I got into the car that I do normally drive with the bag of clothes that I need to go now and soak and wash. And as I walk down to the car, thankfully don't slip, I'm Googling how to remove turmeric from clothes. And most of the recommendations are to not spill it on clothes in the first place. Super helpful advice. Down the list is just dye everything in turmeric and embrace the yellow. And then there's some in-betweens of some last-ditch efforts of should you happen to have this unfortunate event happen to you of turmeric being spilled on your clothes, here's what might give you a slight chance. And so it's a bit of a drive home and it's icy streets and I'm taking my time because I'm very mindful at this point of if you're in this headspace and you're driving a car on slippery roads, you're inviting other bad things to happen. And I'll reassure you that nothing did because I at least was able to rally enough to get into a space around that. And at one point, I stopped the car to text my husband because I was still so mad. And I was mad at myself right, for having 
not taking the steps to close the lid. I was mad at myself for not taking more than one trip. I was just mad at myself for having spilled on these clothes and then created this disconnect in the day. We were supposed to stay and have lunch and keep sledding and I had the warm clothes <laughs> so my kids could get warm after sledding. And all of that had been dismantled in a way. And now I looked back, right? And we could look at the karmic circle if we approach things in that way, that for having cursed this drink at any point, this kind gesture in this favorite beverage of mine, this was my penance to pay in having to suffer because of that. And if we don't look at it from that perspective and simply say a thing that happened and a thing that happened, and we can even look at what are the gifts here. Now, I wasn't ready for gifts at that moment in time. And even as I had left the driveway, I saw some snowballs being thrown into faces and I rolled down the window and in a rather gruff mom way said, no snow in faces, right? Don't do that. Who's doing that? And I got home and I started applying some of these tips, right? Lemon juice onto the coat. And to be fair, the coat shed the turmeric relatively well because of the sheen. So perhaps a gift there could emerge and it's a relatively favorable color. It's in the brownish family. So even where the yellow still is, it's not super obvious. And I have other coats. And yes, I have probably too many winter coats that are very white based, right? And so there was a gift. And it wasn't in the most vulnerable coat, even though it was my favorite coat of the winter collection. I start soaking the clothes in the bag. And the clothes of my other children were... A, really dark, so they would have been more forgiving from the turmeric anyway, and B, not particularly special. And I don't discount them as clothes, and I'm grateful for the clothes that we have, but they weren't a souvenir from a specific experience, right? They were a lovely but relatively generic Target shirt and pants you know, that were relatively easily replaceable. And we could say my son's clothes were also replaceable, but from the perspective of the uniqueness of the experience held that value. And this is all my dialogue happening. So I soak them. I scrub them as best I can. I put them in the washer on an extended stain cycle. It's the first time I think I've used anything other than normal as the setting on my washer. I head out to run an errands. In the meantime, my family decides to come home. And the gift there was that they probably were tired and needed to come home. And had I had the clothes, we probably would have stayed longer and perhaps entered into some of the grumpiness of a long day and lots of fresh air where we needed to rest more. And so we can embrace that opportunity. In the meantime, my son was very gracious and I let him know that his sweatshirt may very well be stained. He said it was okay. I said I was looking into a replacement. He appreciated that. And he said it didn't have to be the exact one. Maybe just any sweatshirt in that color would be reasonable there's this chance to be a recipient of grace and of understanding. My husband, for all my accusations of why did this golden milk ever enter my life, was very kind and simply said, I'm so sorry, that's very frustrating, and didn't take it personally, didn't accuse me of overreacting, and simply held space for me to have these responses. And I completed an errand, getting a book for my middle son, a book he then recovered on his own in the house, which now we have a backup copy for this time. And so I came home, having had made some peace with what was, and sat down and then thought, oh, I should go and check <laughs> on the clothes and see what progress they're making in the washer because it was a longer cycle. And my husband said, oh, I dried them. <laughs> and I thought, what? And I first thought he was joking. 
right? Because we had gone through this whole debacle of the clothes. And he said, was I not meant to? And again, very helpful thing, clothes in the washer often need to be moved to the dryer, except (laughs) when we were seeking to check on the status of the stain and perhaps wash them again or provide different stain-removing material. So I wasn't super happy. I got up and looked and pulled them out. And sure enough, the yellow had actually faded. It was less apparent. And out of the pants, it was almost not so noticeable. But it was pretty front and center on that hoodie. And I looked at it and I noticed what was. And my husband was upset that I was upset at that point because it was kind of the domino effect. The grace might have been waning. But we all came around and we brought it back to the space of a thing that happened. And it didn't have to mean anything about any of us. And perhaps not having pastel colored clothes around golden milk would be a future opportunity from which we can learn. I actually did attempt to drink it and burned my tongue on the golden milk. So we can look at the cursedness (laughs) of that particular drink, but also all the opportunities that came from the moment. And so at the end of the day, we recognized that kind gestures can be appreciated even when there can be ripple effects that are tied to them that aren't as desirable. And human emotions happen in lots of different ways and lots of different spaces to all of us. And they open up the opportunity for us to be entertained, to have a story to tell, to share a lived experience, to receive the grace from others, and to resurrect the experience of Storytime Sunday in a new setting, now on the podcast as part of this daily podcast adventure. And I thank you for giving me the space to share this experience. And I'd love to hear from you if ever you have had a moment where it didn't quite go to plan, maybe it went really far off plan, and you were able to find a way to give yourself some grace, and perhaps that was extended to you through others, holding that space for you until you were able to arrive. We'll be back with the final four episodes, the final four for those who watch the NCAA tournament, right? It'll be fantastic. We'll finish with a flourish. And as always, this is Dr. Amelia Beeky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.